Attention! Welcome to the Film Mages Podcast, where the popcorn is our ammunition, the couch is our foxhole, and the cinema is our place of worship. Now let me see your war face! I think I speak for everyone here today when I say hello. Hi. Everybody. Hey. Hey, what's going it's on? It's good to see say you. Say hi to your mother for me. It's because Mark this is Wahlberg. a visual hey, medium. We don't have... <laughs> We don't have Zach Harris on the hey, show. Hey, how's it going? I thought I'd pop in today to talk about Kubo and the Two Strings. It's enough strings for me. <laughs> well, you just opened with it. Usually yeah. we uh, usually we kind of... Uh, I run things a little different around here. It's me, yeah, Mark Wahlberg. I literally don't even know what's going on. Uh, uh, you jumped the gun. Oh, wow. Well... You Guys, I have, I have a crazy twist for you in what's, what's going on. That wasn't Mark Wahlberg. It was me, oh my God, Zach, really? host, of, host of the Film Majors. As this is a visual medium, away with I it too, had if no it wasn't idea. for those meddling kids. Yeah, yeah, you got bamboozled. Who are you? Oh, Alexis? Are you sure? Maybe. I like that Alexis is still in acting mode right now. <laughs> she's still in, she, she, she's still in stage she's mode. She's ready to fucking so perform. She's performing. fucking weird, too, because for the first two weeks of the run of the show, so for eight shows, I was doing Ghost of Christmas Present because the guy had COVID. Like, literally, like, the week oh. of opening week, he got COVID. And so he was out for two weeks because he... He felt fine, but he kept testing positive. So I've been doing that instead of ensemble. And then I today I had to be back in the ensemble. And I was like, feels weird. Feels weird not being the ghost. Don't like it. You're a star now. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like all about Eve. Yeah. That's what's happening right now. Exactly. Yeah, you got to take it. You got to take, take that fucker out. Take it. Take them out. It's all you. Yeah. You know, the glory is yours. The glory is the glory is yours. You know, it doesn't have to yep. just be my, an Australian. My favorite thing is Christmas the guy present. who plays Scrooge, like on opening night, was going up to everybody and like grasping their forearm and being like, "Strength and honor." <laughs> so now every time I say goodbye to him, I'm like, "Strength and honor." <laughs> That's very Anglo-Saxon. Well, it is a British show. Who it are is you? a British show. I'm Mick. Look at that. We got all our we, intros. It, out. We it, it, we did. We did. Wow. So we got it out. Good job, everybody. Open. It's fantastic. Well, we already know a little bit about what's going on with yeah. Alexis. But Alexis she's, is she's deep into being in uh, a production of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. How's it been going? How's the run been? Uh, it's been good. Yeah. Like now, now that we've been in it for a while, like it kind of just feels like nothing. Like I show up. Well, I mean... It takes quite a lot of time out of my day because I have to be there, obviously, an hour before curtain call. But I also like to get ready for the most part, like at my place. So I'm it's like four hours out of my day, four days a week. Um, Damn. But uh, such is theater, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, we have a theater kid on the show such, again. Such folks. is this business of show, Indeed. show business, baby. I, I, I'm enjoying all the costume movie. changes. I have like eight costume changes, like back and forth between things, like through. And it's wow. only like an they hour must be and fifteen soaking minutes. Soaking wet by the end of it. Do they ring it out? Do they God ring it out when they're done? You're bringing back Boy Sweat Alexis yeah. right I'm now. I can imagine. Actually, not that bad. Now that I'm not Christmas present, when I'm Christmas present, I have this like Camelot dress on, and then I have this like huge robe that is honestly like low key like carpety material. And I swear to God, I'm just like 
I have like a big giant wreath crown on and I'm just like, you know, very ethereally standing on stage watching shit happen and I can just feel sweat dripping down my back. <laughs> nice. Lovely. <laughs> Hell great. yeah. I love it. That's good. Hell fucking That's yeah. Good. My favorite movie about theater is Waiting for Guffman. Never seen the it. Christopher Guest movie. You've yeah, never I seen also that. haven't seen that. So, you know, do you know Best in Show and A Mighty Wind? No. You know the, those I, movies? I think I I've seen Best in <laughs> I think I've seen Best in Show. For God's sake, man. Yeah. I think, I'm think i pretty sure I've seen Best in Show. Well, yeah, he did Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah, that, he, that I've definitely oh, yeah, seen. Yeah. And then he went and he did Waiting for Guffman, and it is such a good movie that captures the, <laughs> the hilarious realities of low-budget community theater. And all of the different personalities you have. You have Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy. Oh, shit. Fred, Fred Willard has the best line in the movie to me where he's like, like, it's, he's one of those, he's like a local guy in a small town, but he's, he's an actor. Yeah. You know, he considers himself to be an actor. Indeed, indeed. And before they go on, he says, you know what? If you get nervous, don't worry about it. If you can't remember your lines, just say a random line from a famous show. That's what I always do. I love that advice. <laughs> I've always, as someone who was in theater at one point, I, I think that is so funny. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'll have to check that out because uh, you, you've named a lot of actors that I it's love. It's really good. Can I just say my favorite thing is like when you're on stage and you're like stage whispering, you know, like, a, but really like you're, you're create like, we, so we're like supposed to be like in the streets and stuff, you know, being people in london or whatever right and scrooge comes by and me and this guy have been in competition to like see who can make each other break every show so like we're coming up with like because you know like at the very end like scrooge is so nice and he's saying hi to everybody and everybody's just like what the fuck is going on is that scrooge you know like and so me and this one guy are like whispering and today i was like uh last week I saw him tear a man's arm off and beat him with him and beat him with it in the back alley. Um, the week before he broke me because he told me that Scrooge massacred his whole family. And I was like, all of them. And he was like, yeah, didn't leave one behind. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. like I literally couldn't even come up with anything to say to it. And then like the the uh, a couple shows before that, um, he told me that Scrooge had hit him with his cane and I just like immediately was like, Oh, did you like it? <laughs> and it broke, that broke <laughs> him. <laughs> it was so good. Hell so now we're in competition. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's fun. Well, that sounds like a blast. I can't yeah. wait to see it. Yeah, it's fun. But this isn't, the theater majors podcast. No, it's not. This is it's the not. film majors podcast. <laughs> Indeed. So I would like to put out a, this might seem a little out of left field. Whoa. I've been holding the card in my pocket. All right. But have anyone here seen a film lately that they would like to talk about? I've seen two. Okay. I've seen two new releases. Ooh, okay. And they were both good. Oh, fantastic. Hit us. Uh, so I've been, uh, I just finished working on a uh, horror film, which uh, being a horror film shot like almost exclusively at night. Uh, so my days were fairly free. Um, and yesterday I went and saw the new Christopher Borgley directed film Dream Scenario. Uh, I'm going to see that soon. Starring Mr. Nicholas Cage. We love Nicholas Cage. And let me just say 
It was fan fucking tastic. You like it? I really enjoyed it. I uh, last year, I feel like I felt a little let down by the unbearable weight of massive talent. Mm-hmm. It felt like kind of a surface level look at Nicolas Cage, kind of capitalizing on like mid two thousands memes about like him being a really over the top actor. Which I feel like is reductive. And Dream Scenario, well, not, like, written specifically about Nicolas Cage, is a movie that's, like, very interested in how you can lose control of your public persona and how that affects, like, both your ability to exist in the world at large and just your own sort of personhood, Hmm. uh, which is, you know, more or less what happened to Nick Cage when he became a meme. Precisely. Um, And I I found it really, really fascinating. Uh, He's great in the movie. It's a, like... It's a very specific performance, but it's not, you know, the thing that people tend to associate Nick Cage with in terms of, like, being loud and bombastic. He's very kind of, like, meek and a little weaselly in this movie. Yeah, the impression I got from the trailer is he reminds me of Adam Sandler from Punch Drunk Love. That isn't a bad comparison. It's not one-to-one, but, like, in terms of being an actor who often goes big, playing someone a little more reserved, I I think that's a, a fair comparison. Also, just... A killer fucking supporting cast. Michael Sarah, yeah. Kate Berlant, Tim Meadows. Just really, really fun. I uh, I enjoyed it I, a lot. I'm excited to see it. I, th- it sounds like this could be the first good Nicolas Cage movie to come out in a while. I had a, I had high hopes for... Um, oh, shoot. Renfield. Renfield, thank you. And I... Uh, did you see Pig? I liked Pig. I, I didn't love it. I might have to revisit it because I know a lot of people like Pig and saying this is, you know, a great Nicolas Cage performance, great Nicolas Cage movie. I, I agree it was a good performance, but the movie didn't capture me. But everything about Dream Scenario that I've heard and read makes me uh, very excited. I liked, I liked Dream Scenario more than Pig. I thought it was very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has one of the most well-executed fart jokes I've seen in quite some time. We we, we love, love fart. We Alexis. Love do we love fart I jokes? Love fart jokes. Personally. Yes, we do. I make them all the time. Who doesn't um, exactly. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the other film that I saw today was Anatomy of a Fall. <gasps> oh, you saw I'm that? I'm so excited. To How see was that? it? Anatomy of a Fall is one of the best movies I've seen in years. Wow! Really? Um, it is the only movie that I feel like for me contends with Nope for best of the decade. No shit. Uh, I thought it was just a fucking immaculately made movie. Is it Swedish? Uh, it's French. French. Oh, it's French. A, a, oh, lot of, okay. a lot of the movie is in English mm. um, for plot reasons, mm. which, you know, become apparent fairly early. Uh, but yeah, I thought that it's just an incredible script. It's like very, very Hitchcock. Nice. It's, it's like if you wrapped a Hitchcock movie, a uh, family drama 
and like a courtroom thriller all into wow. one. Hell yeah. Uh, it packs a fucking whopper of an emotional punch. And, uh, you know, I gotta say, I uh, I know that a few episodes ago I was like, who's gonna be who's gonna be fucking competition for Lily Gladstone for best actress? Mm. Mm-hmm. Sandra fucking Huller is incredible in this movie. It is just a mesmerizing performance. Uh, I I really don't want to say much more about the movie yeah. because I I don't want I want you guys to go into this yeah. blind, but yeah. like. Run to go see it. it I is, will because it'll be leaving theaters soon. I, I'm sure it will. Oh, you know, yeah. it's a foreign foreign film, so like it <laughs> even it probably sooner. Will put that the my list. Yeah, if it is if it is playing near you, go see it as fast as you can. Uh, you will not regret so it. So the hype is real. Yes, very very, cool. very much so. Nice. I uh, yeah, nice. I, I sobbed in the theater. Was it four 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 and a half five? That's a five star film. You gave it five. That's a five star film. Wow. Crazy. I no I shit. really That's feel the very first strong. of the year. Right? That is the first film I've given five stars this year. Well, like, except only... for Possession. Uh, yeah, it's but the first new the release. New, it's new the, release. Yeah, that gets five stars. Yes. Wow. I, so I guess I don't, this is definitely like going to be in your top ten then, right? Uh, they, that would be a solid guess. It's at number one. It sounds like <laughs> it might be very cool. Uh, but yeah, if. Uh, I don't like to throw the M word around, but uh, Jesus might be. Wow. I gotta see it again. But All right. I uh, I just I really thought it was spectacular, and you know, granted, I am uh, extremely sleep deprived right now, so things are hitting a little harder for me emotionally today. <laughs> but it just it just wrecked me. It just fucking wrecked me. Um, loved it. Loved it. Nice. It's uh, the most thrilling movie that is largely people having conversations. Uh, of those the are year. some of my favorites. It's so good. That just you means did. it's a good fucking script. It's so good. Nice. Uh, I I fully get why it won the. Uh, it gave you the fizz, didn't it? I can tell. I love it when a movie gives you the fizz. I felt like I was on a different planet when I walked out of it. Why wow. uh, a different planet, folks? You heard it here. Yeah, Justine Treat, who uh, directed the film and wrote it with Arthur Harari. Uh, Fantastic fucking work from her, uh, and a fully deserved win of the Palme d'Or. Nice. Uh, yeah, I uh, I really hope that this movie gets remembered come uh, come awards time. Nice, hell yeah, sounds good. I I've seen a few films. I haven't seen any new releases, uh, but I've been watching some classics. Um, I watched finally. I watched a like OG Pam Greer film called Ooh. Coffee. It's a black exploitation film from 1973. Pam uh, Greer. Pam Greer. Yeah, it's uh, really, really good. Directed by Jack Hill. And it ha- honestly, one of my main takeaways is it has a very young Sid Haig in it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Who plays... Who, Alexis, your boy. Best yeah, man. he's like this... He's uh, Fresno. This, this, he's this Mexican goon that's like this... He's really... He's funny and he's fair but he's an absolute bastard. Mm. Absolute fucking bastard. And he's very good at it. And he's also like kind of good looking. 
Yeah. He's kind. Of, he's kind of a handsome dude when he was young. He Way to this, go, Sam. Yeah, he had this oh, whole yeah. suit thing going on. It was. It was a good look for him. Uh, P- Pam Greer is fantastic. I've never seen her uh, young, really, in any of her like movies that she's famous for. Um, and yeah, it was. It was absolutely wonderful. Uh, a great LA film. Excellent. God, it's so good. You're saying all these things. It's so good that it's kind of late at night and, you know, and the doors are locked. Yeah, well, and Quinn's busy. Exactly. He's at home with the, the wife and the kid. Exactly. <laughs> he would be just chomping at the bit. It's so weird. I feel like we haven't heard from him in it's a while. It's so weird that he has a, a kid. Hey, listen. Quinn Tarantino's a dad. He's no a family man. He he's a, a family man. Literally, my first question was like, he has a kid? <laughs> he has a son. Yeah, call him Peter Griffin because he's Quint, a family guy. Quinn Jr. Um, and then uh, I watched, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm very, very excited. And I do fear I'm letting myself get too excited, uh, overhype myself, as they say, for Napoleon. I'm very excited. Oh, I'm because I've been watching some historical epics that I've been kind of meaning to watch. So I watched, uh, I told you about this, I watched Cromwell about Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell. And that is from 1970. Starring Richard Harris and Alec Guinness Richard as the Harris. king. Oh, Richard yeah, Harris. Oh, my uncle. So here, here's what's interesting is the movie did not get good reviews. Like, I think Roger Ebert said that it was just like that Richard Harris did not inhabit the character of uh, Cromwell very well. And he's just basically projecting out to the to the, you know, the the final, the the rose in the in the theater because he's a theater actor. Yeah. I could not disagree more. Yeah, well, Roger Ebert said the thing was a geek show, so you know what does he know? Yeah, he has some misses. Uh, yeah. yeah, he he does. Uh, but that guy really I, got me into film when I was a kid. I shouldn't throw him under the bus. He's like a great, he is a great critic. He is a great critic. Yeah. Uh, they have a statue of him in Chicago. That makes sense. Um, but it was really really good. I only got through the first half. Had to turn it off because I had to go to sleep. And I immediately returned to it the following evening. I couldn't. I kept thinking about it. And it's not without its faults. It's there are some things in the film that I don't quite like how I think the character changes a little too quickly to kind of fit the narrative. Um, But it's paced very, very well. Um, It's just so good there. Richard Harris. Oh, my God. Can he deliver a fucking monologue? He is so good. Oh, my Alexis. I implore you to watch Cromwell because it talk, talk about fucking eating, the, the, chewing up the scenery nom, 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 nom. and talking to the third row. Nom, man. Nom, nom, it, it, nom. He is so, so good in it. And Alec Guinness plays a good, like he, they completely do a, a different approach than they did in Braveheart where they make the, the king like this complete one-sided bad guy villain, which of course every you know, England had their fair share of those for Kings, but Alec Guinness plays it very much. He, he's very human and he has like a stammer, which is interesting. Ah, like yeah. in the King's, King's speech. speech. Exactly. Tom Hooper, one of our favorite yeah. directors. Jellical, uh, jellical, It's really, really good. I <laughs> uh, had a great time with it. And then I, right before we recorded this, I watched another historical epic called uh, The Charge of the Light Brigade, which is... Oh, I've heard that's good. It's very good, but infuriating to watch. Oh. It's an anti-war film. And so we keep having jokes about how, uh, because I'm dating a, a, a lovely British woman, that I am slowly morphing into... An Englishman. What jokes? <laughs> well, they are jokes, but every joke has some truth to it. 
Yeah. Um, I like to think of myself as a truth teller. A truth teller? Yeah. I'm a teller of <laughs> Have truth. Have you noticed you're your, your teeth getting That's misaligned like, over time? Yeah, no, how's how, how that's those... because I had my retainer removed, Alexis. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you, that's the first thing you lose. That's uh, it, it's true. Um, but I watched, uh, I, I watched this film and it is so so British in the beginning, like to the point where I was my jaw was like dropped at the like it's it's just propaganda. I mean, that's what it is, but it was so thick. With with like old Britannia type shit that I slowly began to realize that, oh, this film is satire. This movie is satirizing itself and it is actually mocking the British officers because the whole point of the movie, the, the charge of the light brigade was when the English were fighting the Russians in Crimea and they got completely decimated by Jove. They got wiped out. So, you know, that's where it's going. And it just the whole movie, the reason I call it it's infuriating is because you're watching these officers and generals be complete fucking numbskulls the whole movie. Like they're complete morons. And it's a good critique of how the upper ranks of any military quite often are just complete snobby bastards that have no business being there. And they're all there for the glory. They're all there for how they perceived. There's even a scene where one of the officers is saying like, you know, I'm not going to perform a great deed if no one sees it. Or what's the point? <sighs> I'm not doing anything great on the battlefield unless people are watching. And yeah, it's just, it's a good, it's a really, really good anti-war film. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I watched some classics. Nice. Lovely. Well, uh, we, we might be talking about a uh, director of some uh, some classics starring uh, some British actors later. Cool. Yeah, I'll come back to it. All right. That's yeah, all, I'm curious about that. Actually, I'm seeding something. That's a setup. Uh, Alexis, have you uh, have you seen any films? I, uh, you've been quite busy. Yeah, I've been pretty busy, but I did manage to. Well, because it's I finally have had some like time off. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before I start rehearsals for the next play. So um, I've been doing nothing and it's been great. Um, I finally have like three evenings back to myself again. Um, and oh, so yeah. I did some self-care yesterday by going to the movies by myself. <laughs> nice. Fuck yeah. What you That's see? one of my favorites. It, you know, it's so good because then like you sit down and you like don't talk to anybody you literally just scroll on your phone you don't have to like interact with anybody it's it's very centering i love it <laughs> i've been feeling really burnt out so like going to the movies by myself really helped me feel like kind of at peace again it it is weirdly healing isn't it, it is. oh yeah no to it's just the best. go to the i you know i actually have friends that like they'll be text me like i'm really bored and i'm like go see a movie yeah and like with who i'm like just no just, just you see a movie go see a movie yeah. and and people some people are like oh, that's weird like you i don't oh, i'm not going by myself I, i'm like that's insane i constantly I think about that onion. yeah i constantly think about that onion headline that's uh fucking loser at the movies all by himself yeah, <laughs> yeah. i think i sent that to you uh, actually many people have sent that to me lol wow. we love yeah. you I well, mean, Alexis, I'm, I'm literally raised by like wait, two parents see? who go to the movies by themselves like all the time. Um, there you go. But, Good parenting. Uh, I went and saw Sofia Coppola's uh, Priscilla. 
That's another movie I want to see. I loved it. I gotta catch up. I loved it. Is it good? I really, I you know, well, here's the thing. So like, I knew going the the other reason why I went to the movies, very specifically by myself, because there was somebody who wanted to like see a movie with me, but I was like, I actually, I'm just gonna hang out by myself tonight. Uh, was because my sister saw it and she was like, yeah, so it's pretty triggering. Um, so, you know, just with a grain of salt. And I was like, OK, for sure, for sure. So, like, I immediately thought, like, I'm probably going to be in a weird headspace, like coming out of this movie. So I actually don't really want to go with anybody specifically to see this movie because I want to experience it without anybody like next to me, because I sometimes I feel like when you watch something that can be like personal or something and then you have somebody with you that like, you know, maybe not your sister or something, then it's like you kind of are managing your reactions in some ways. And I swear to God, I literally I started this movie with a knot in my stomach because of how young she is. And I, I don't think it ever really dissipated. And um, I don't know. I really liked it. I always really like Sofia Coppola's movies, even though they're like, I feel like a lot of people's complaints about them is that they're very slow. But I think that there's like a stillness that is needed in the types of stories that she tells often. So I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, uh, really good character study. I really loved it. And Jacob Elordi is so hot. So. Uh, okay, all right. That's all. That's all well and good, but elephant in the room. Baz Luhrmann. Where it has a compare? Yeah, you know. Well, here's the thing. It's just like totally different. Like it's. How can you compare them? They're completely different stories. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of them depicts like reality, and the other one is Elvis 2022. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, like that's actually the best way to put it is that like so yeah. I the way I put it in my review was just kind of like that Baz Luhrmann's is is the actual act of spectacle and the illusion of iconography, whereas Priscilla is like a character study of what's behind the curtain of iconography and the perception of it, you know, um, because I really love that she chose like a lot of moments where it's like, you know, there's like clear uh, media photos of this like time period where they're obviously like smiling and happy, but you get to see the context, like the big, like the, the, like the scene right before or the scene right after where you see these like really bad or just kind of sad fractures in like a relationship that's kind of not even really there. Um, like she literally is just kind of a doll in a dollhouse. Um, and my, my, I kept thinking to myself while I was watching this movie is how small do you have to make yourself to fit in a dollhouse? Because that's what it felt like watching her um, is that she, she moved through this, the this space which i think it was a really good use of the space is for her to move through it as if she doesn't really completely belong there um and uh yeah anyways sofia coppola love that woman i love marie antoinette uh, i never seen the virgin suicides but i do also love lost in translation so this is me realizing i don't think i've ever seen a 
Sofia Coppola movie. Yeah, I've seen... Which is really embarrassing. I've seen Marie Antoinette, The Bling Ring, and Lost in Translation. I am not a big Lost in Translation fan. I do like Marie Antoinette. I think that's a good movie. I think, it's, that's I think the that, one that to me, that's her first. best movie. But I think it's also the yeah. same type of story where you're, tell, you're telling the... Like you're doing a character study of somebody who has been perceived a certain way in like media, whether that's like centuries of history or like the uh, like 50 years of like, you know, photos or something, you know. So and it, it, yeah. she really likes looking into the lives of lonely people who are not quite understood because like even her very first movie, The Virgin Suicides, I believe it's kind of told partly from the perspective of these young boys who are in love with this like group of girls and you know how can young boys truly ever really know a group of teenage girls <laughs> you know like they don't really know what's going on in the in their mind and shit and it's kind of the same thing with Marie Antoinette and Priscilla where it's like uh there's so much that we don't really understand about them and probably never will in a certain way and we get to see this kind of like little we get to pretend like we're sneaking a peek into their life. And it's really interesting. Nice. Excellent. So well, there are good movies. I was about right to now. say, here's the fucking moral of this episode. It's Thanksgiving or it, it will be close to Thanksgiving when this episode comes out. Go to the movies. Go to the yeah. movies. When you got some time off. I'm There's a lot of good movies out right now. Going to go see the Hunger Games this weekend. And I'm so fucking stuck. <laughs> I, I hope you have fun. Oh, I'm going to have a blast. I've, I've literally Wait, told the, my sister. The first one? I've been talking about it for two weeks. What? The first one? No, there's a prequel. Wait, there, wait there's a new Hunger Games coming out? Yeah, a prequel. What? Yeah. I don't I've even want to talk to you. I don't even want to talk to you. You haven't. Wait, you there, guys are literally so this. old. I'm the oldest one in this fucking chat. And you guys act like you're fucking like prehistoric not by not being on TikTok. <laughs> like this shit has been on, on there. But you know what is on TikTok? The Film Majors yeah. podcast at Film Majors Pod on TikTok. That's a good plug. <laughs> yeah, that's us. That's a good plug. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. Uh, well, I will. Speaking of our social media, I'll also be posting Alexis's review of Priscilla on there sometime yeah. this week. So uh, follow, again, Film oh, Majors yeah. Pod on Instagram. Check it out. And be honest, Click it. I did cry. Uh, I teared up a couple times and then I did cry at the end. Like I literally like left. I left the theater before the credits finished because I was like, I need to just go to my car and like have a little have a little tear and uh, sing the like play the Dolly Parton song that plays at the end. And then I went home and I wrote and I was like, I love it when a movie actually makes me feel like I should write what it is that I'm feeling right now. It's so great. Yeah, yeah. That's how I. That's how I felt after Anatomy of a Fall. You know, you know, a movie is good mm -hmm. when you like sit there for a while during the credits, not just to pay respect to the wonderful craftspeople and artists yeah. who worked on it, but just just, to, just because you are so moved. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's a great great feeling. I mean, the fact that it made you want to like express yourself. And your emotions. I mean, that's what that's, that's what art all is about, all baby. about, hey, hey, baby. To to go back and uh, throw throw some respect on Roger Ebert's name. Uh, cinema is a machine that generates empathy. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, that was a damn good. What's going on? Yeah. Let's hop out of this segment. Let's now. get the hell out of here. <laughs> and. 
let's hop into our big topic. Alexis? Yes? Let's, it's it's almost as if sound? I came up with this topic and you're expecting me to know what it is, which is... Uh, I am, but I'm but also what's, just... But the other sound. I'm, I'm also wondering what that sound is oh off God. in the distance. Can, that, can you hear that? Can Oh can my you, God, what, what is, is that? What is that? Choo, oh my God, choo, it's so loud. It's your mighty conductor rolling y'all into the animation station. All aboard! Yes. Hi, guys. It's so Vundabar. nice to see you again. Vundabar. Thank you for taking this it's journey. It's so nice to be back. God damn it. I've just, you know, I've been enjoying rolling down these tracks, seeing where this train takes us. I wish I wasn't uh, so fucking busy. Otherwise, I'd be watching every fucking animated movie under the sun right now. Yeah, I think one of these nights soon, I'm going to try to watch uh, Castle in the Sky because our uh, our new roommate, uh, Jacornbean, has been, been Jacorn har- Bean. haranguing me about watching Castle in the Sky. Because it's really fucking good. I've never good. seen that. I, I'm sure it is. I'm I was sure actually, before we, before we did this, I was actually watching the new yeah. season of Demon Slayer. There's a new one I didn't know about. Oh, the. I got to say. The sword smith arc or the new or is there a new one it's season four whatever season four is i don't know the name of it then the, the when they're when nice they're at back. the swordsmith village yes didn't you just say you just I started only got, watching I only it? Got, I, it it's a 40 minute episode and i got 20 minutes into it you can call me donnie because i'm out of my fucking element yeah oh then maybe maybe i haven't seen that one i've been trying to catch up with that arc at the gym and i'm just about to finish it on my cardio days i watch anime <laughs> nice hell yeah well, I'll just, I'll introduce the big topic, because yeah. I remember what it is. Yeah. I do also, okay, and it was the use of narration <laughs> in film. I was just playing you. There it is. There it is. <laughs> so, I'd like to talk about a few different things that I feel like narration can do. I feel like narration often either establishes plot, establishes character, or establishes tone. Um, or context. Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of what I mean by plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, gives you information about the world that you might not otherwise have. I think a, a good well, example of that is in, like, Avatar. Right, where you right. have Jake Sully giving his sort of uh, video diary confessional. What the movie I'm going to mention here in a little bit uses narration to provide context that doesn't really have to do with the plot, but it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. There's there's my first one, Avatar. Yeah. It's uh, you know it's it's a it's a little clunky, but it it does ground you in the world. It grounds you in the character a bit as well. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that that is you know it, it, kind of. Kind of the classic use of narration, where it's like, "Let me tell you about me." Yeah, and this it's for world. it gets you into the head of the of the, of the protagonist. Yeah, it, it, uh, you know, I've never actually thought about it, but I think Avatar works better for it. Yeah, well, it's that classic James Cameron thing of yeah. like, you know what? I'm gonna paint with a broad brush, yeah. and it might be a little messy, but god damn it, you're gonna be well, fucking grounded in this story. Well, that honestly, one of my favorite uses of narration from James Cameron is from uh, Judgment Day. She Sarah Connor's narration it doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, it kind of bookends the it, movie. It, but yeah, it's, you have a prologue epilogue kind of thing, but it's very, very effective. Yeah. 
Uh, so a uh, a movie that uses narration to uh, one kind of mislead in terms of plot and two established character that I fucking love is David Fincher's Gone Girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gone Girl with Amy's diary entries uses narration so incredibly well. Spoilers for Gone Girl, but like it's almost 10 years old. So, you know, you should have seen it by now. It's on Hulu. Uh, so you have these diary entries from Amy that you think are chronicling her relationship with Nick uh, after she's gone missing. And it seems to implicate him in her disappearance until it's finally revealed that Amy has been constructing this diary to put the frame on Nick so that she can essentially fake her own murder and get him fucking sent to prison. Um, so I, I just... I, I love that twist. I, I had no familiarity with Gone Girl before I saw it in theaters. Uh, I just was like, oh, I've heard this movie is good. And when that flip happens, I was completely shocked. And it was because the narration was used how it was. It's yeah. uh, unreliable narration. It's it's a very yeah. powerful tool. My my favorite unreliable narration is Usual Suspects. Yeah, it's a good one. That's another great to, you know what? I'm not classic gonna classic use of it. I'm not gonna throw respect on Kevin Spacey's name. I'm yeah. gonna throw respect on Christopher McQuarrie's name. Yeah. Because he fucking wrote that movie. Yeah. It, it is so so good. Uh his narration is intentionally misleading But you think that it's the spine of the film, that it's the backbone that's actually giving you some semblance of navigation and to try to find reality in this really crazy story. Turns out... Bamboozled! You've been bamboozled. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good. That's so funny that you would bring up unreliable narrators because one of the most distinct in the last year has got to be the Colonel from Elvis 2022. I'm caught in a trap. I can't it was so oh funny. I didn't God. even think about that. But as soon as you said unreliable narrator, I was oh, like, I did. oh, God, do the Colonel. God. Oh, I did. I saw, I saw the fucking... Baz Luhrmann sequin-induced yep. fucking gleam in your it, eye it when was, Nick said that. It was the first thing I thought of when you texted the group chat. Oh, I was like, oh, no. that's Colonel oh, Tom Parker right there, baby. Fuck. Damn. Uh, uh, you know what's a use of narration that I think both sets the tone of the movie and works as just like a great source of comedy? A movie that we've reviewed. Uh, oh. Right? No. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to go with the one that you Psycho. talked about before. Oh, fuck. That's, that's a, a good that's one. That's a good one. I was, I was going to say The Big Lebowski. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's also uh, a yeah. good one. Just with really... Sam Elliott. Like, gr- grounds us in it being a noir, because, you know, that movie does more or less have the same plot as Double Indemnity. Uh, but... It also just like is so meandering and kind of pointless. Sometimes there's a man. Yeah. Sometimes there's a man. Well, 
You'll see. Yeah, it's so, <laughs> so good. Oh, Just, yeah. oh, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> Do you remember watching yes. the movie Secretary with the original Mr. Yes. Gray? Well, yes, I think, you know, most of the beginning of that movie, she spends doing narration about like where she's been like it gives you the context of like how the movie starts basically she just got out of like kind of like low-key a mental institution and like her mom's like hella worried about her and like you know hit all the fucking knives in the house and like all this shit you know and then but it kind of also it really clues you into like okay sure sure she 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 just got up like a mental institution but also she's definitely like very childlike and to see her get a job and then to see her get into these like adult situations like pretty soon after is a very interesting spin on that narration i think um i think it gives you yeah. a no. a taste of the her inner world so that you like understand her as a character and why it's kind of important for her to have this like sexual awakening in a way yeah no yeah that's a that's a really good movie it is i've got to see all of that i started it's that so a while back and was just like exhausted yeah. but i i really loved what i saw i need to i need to go back it has to my that baby james spader a... in it Yes. James. Well, we're a pro James Spader baby? podcast. I don't know if he's baby. I in think that. he's daddy. He is daddy. Yeah, I think he's in daddy. I would say Hot Sex Life videotape. That's baby Spader. I would say secretary is daddy Spader. Papa. Which is what they were probably shot like within like a three year span, maybe. <laughs> Not that much changed. Um, Alexis, the fucking the stage makeup is really like accentuating the. Yeah. The horny glee yeah, on your face. That's the look. If if Urban Decay did a, a palette, it would be uh what would you just say? Horny glee. Horny glee. Yeah, it'd be the horny it'd be the horny glee look. Hundred percent. Yeah. There was you just made it. I think you were wearing it. Someone who knew Alfred Hitchcock described him as having, quote, a sexual imp inside of him. Wow. And Alexis <laughs> Alexis is giving sexual, Se- imp, sexual right imp right now. There is wow. a sexual imp like in the my heart of hearts. It's definitely in my brain, but somewhere in my heart of hearts it's also there. A sexual nice. imp waiting to live free. Yes, uh, indeed. Just to bring it just to bring it back for a second, I no. don't know about you two, <laughs> but I kind of keep a list in my head Papa? of my favorite movies <laughs> that you both have shown me. Oh, okay. that's yeah. so sweet. I, I kind of do too. I, 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 that's because those are core. I, make no mistake. Those are core memories. And I have to say, secretary is one of those with Alexis. Cause I remember when I finally saw that for the first time, for, first of all, I had the horny imp there to show me. So who better ambassador Tee-hee. than Alexis? <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's such a good movie. Uh, and yeah, fuck man, James Spader. Wow. She's uh, th- th- okay. Wait, 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 wait. That moment where like she's on the couch and he's talking to her, and then he goes, "You're just, you're, you're," and he's like kind of reaching for her, and then reaches back. He he goes, "You're just, you're wound so tight, like almost like he kind of almost wants to like." He wants to touch her, but he's almost afraid that, like, oh, if I do, like something's gonna shatter, or almost like he's afraid to touch her. It is. A very interesting introduction to this like new dynamic that they're going to end up have, mm. having is for him to to be like, oh, it's like he's so tempted by the idea of her 
being so closed off to the world. He opens her up to it. Yeah. Yeah, I got to <laughs> check that movie out. Um, another uh, favorite use of narration from me is something I alluded to uh, a few moments ago is uh, Alfonso Cron's Itumama Tambien. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that has... I, honestly, when I think of narration, that has one of my favorite uses because this is what I mean, where it provided context but didn't actually have anything really to do with the plot. But it, I would say... It does reveal character. It reveals character, but I would put it more into tone. Yeah. If I had to, if I had to classify it with what you put forth, I would put it in tone just because it really... Uh, it, it really gives into kind of the theme of, of that story of it, it's a sort of it's it pessimistic. It's a bit contextualizes the era, like the time period, the era. Yes. And, oh, and oh, the attitude, really. A really interesting thing about the narration in that movie that I feel like we don't get a ton of is that's an objective narrator. We never get a character attached to that narration. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like in all of our other examples we've listed, we have. The narrator is someone we see or the other characters know. Yeah. 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 Um, so kind of a gag involving narration. And like, it's not, it's, it's diegetic within the scene. So it, I don't know if it really counts, but it, it does kind of play like a character narrating their own life is uh, the beginning and end of John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Mm. You have Jack Burton kind of telling his own story into the radio, just being like, on a dark and stormy night, old Jack Burton's going to tell you what the hell. What a uh, great performance. Yeah, like, he, he is kind of... He was born of, for that. And, and it sets up the gag that this is a man who is convinced that he is the main character of life. And, and, and uh, let me be clear, when you watch it, this is Kurt Russell. When he is convinced that he is the main character of life, I, the audience member, I'm convinced that he is the main character of life. That's because, why it's such a good gag. Because of just how confident... And heroic and action man hero he is, but then as the movie goes on, you he doesn't do anything. No, he's a bumbler. Hmm. No, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a bungler. He he is a, he's a bumbler and a bungler. But I think the the reason that I wanted to bring up Big Trouble in Little China is that that's a character who's telling his own story, and the film we are talking about today is very much concerned with storytelling and taking control of your own narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's that for a fucking segue? That's a good segue. Call wow. me Paul Blarge, the mall concierge. Incredible work. Because I'm on a I segment. applaud you. <laughs> Thank you. I will go to my grave and I will never you once can call be, you that. Uh, You're gonna. Uh, never once. An honorary conductor on the animation station train. <laughs> I'll shovel some coal into the, into the engine. Um... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, the furnace. You put coal into the furnace. Thank you, Mick. 
Um, the film we were talking about today. You know, for all of your train lore needs, we have Mick Munyai on the pod. That's right. Nicholas Munji. Mick Munyai. Alexis, I thank you for the correct pronunciation of my name, by the uh, way. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah. Mick Munyai. 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 A wolf looks up into the moon and goes, Yai! We're talking about Kubo and the two strings. Kubo. In 2017, Universal Studios announced The Dark Universe, an ambitious project that would see all of their classic movie monsters come together like some kind of horror Avengers. Only one movie was ever made, which bombed so hard they canceled the entire franchise. But what if they hadn't? On our podcast, Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe, we imagine the connected horror universe that never was. Every week, one of us pitches the other on the next movie in the universe until we grow to Marvel proportions and beyond. So far, we've tackled Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and many more, and we're just getting started. Follow along on your favorite podcast app and ask yourself the question, Are you afraid of the dark universe? And all two of his strings. It's a 2016 film directed by Travis Knight. It's produced by Leica Animation Studios. Hell yeah. Are they still a thing? Uh, yeah, yes, they, they are. are. Uh, he he is working on a new film. Uh, he went and directed uh, Bumblebee after uh, oh, after Kubo and the yes, Two Strings, yes, yes, which yes, I've yes. heard is decent. I've never seen it. I did mm. see it, and I you know it's a good it's a good airplane movie. Watching but, it on a flight. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's going back to Leica, and uh, he's in production on a movie called Wildwood right now. Mm. Live action? Uh, nope. Stop motion. Why would it be live oh, really? action if yeah. it's Leica? That's right. Because, uh, I don't know, he directed a live-action movie. Yeah. Uh, I, that does, was kind of... Does <laughs> I feel like do live-action movies? I didn't... Uh, no, I was referring no. to Travis oh. Knight's new film. Yeah, but he's... Well, he runs Leica. Right, right, right. So uh, this is a new Leica yes. Travis Knight film. Isn't he yes. the son of somebody, cool. like... He, okay. He's an Epo baby, gonna, right? Can I... Yes, I'm going to provide some Leica Ooh. context before we get into the movie. Good, good, good. Okay. I because love the story. As... As an Oregon boy, I've got to get into it. Because Leica, if you don't know, is an animation studio that makes stop-motion films. They made Coraline, they made The Box Trolls, they made Paranorman, uh, and they made our film today, Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, And it is uh, run by Travis Knight, who is the son of Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. I didn't know that. Yep. No shit. Yes, he is the son of Phil Knight. Uh, he used to. Well, it's kind of weird kinda because cool it's like because he he I, he's so dedicated to his craft that he kind of didn't care. Like he, yeah, it's like one instance of like somebody having a bunch of money and kind of not caring about making a bottom line, so they just did something they loved. So and he has talent. Yes, he okay. has talent to back it up. That's so here's here's the it. thing. Here's here's the history of Leica Studios. And all credit to uh, Blank Check, because they did a episode on Coraline where I got a good chunk of this information. Mm-hmm. So, Leica used to be Vinton Studios. It was run by Will Vinton, who uh, was the guy who created the California Raisins. Um, he was a kind of legendary stop-motion animator. He directed uh, the first feature-length stop-motion film, which is The Adventures of Mark Twain, mm, mm-hmm. which... Have either of you seen that? I have not seen yes. it. That movie is... 
bizarre and cursed. Yeah, nightmare fuel. I, I watched it when I was a kid. I've never forgotten it. Wow. Yeah. Um, Same. But yeah, Will Vinton, uh, legendary man in the stop motion field, or, and uh, his studio was kind of going under. Travis Knight, who had was initially a uh, rapper by the name of Chili T. What? Yep, he had a rap no career. No shit. Yep, he was Chili T. Go, go look him up. Like oh, Chewbacca, no. oh Chili T. I thought this was a good story. Uh, it gets, it's like good and it isn't. Uh, so Travis Knight goes. He's an intern at Vinton Studios, and he goes to his dad, Phil Knight, and he's like, look, if this studio goes under, which it kind of was, then stop motion as an art form in the United States is dead. Mm. There's nowhere else that is consistently producing stop motion films at this time. And they have the craftsmen there that can do it. Yeah, if your name is not Tim Burton. Right. Um, So... Because Phil Tippett had already kind of like... I, he was probably in his house working on Mad God. Right. Because he he's worked on that movie for way. like 20 years. Right. <laughs> um, but Travis Knight is like, look, we don't have any fucking endowments for the arts in this country. Find it in your heart to save this art form. Um, so he convinces his dad, Phil Knight, founder of Nike, to buy Vinton Studios. Um, and... They part of the contract stipulation is that, uh, you know, Travis has to work there. And after a few years, Will Vinton kind of gets ousted from the company and Travis Knight gets installed as the guy who runs Leica. This all feels very Blackberry. It does. The troubling thing is that, like, on the one hand, yeah, fucked up that Will Vinton got forced out of his own studio but also the studio was failing. Right. Yeah. So you can kind of see the need for a change in leadership, but right. then it's like, oh, okay, he's installed his fucking, you know, son right. who's it in looks his weird. 20s, 30s maybe. Yeah. Uh to run the studio. But then the first thing that Travis Knight does is he's like, We've gotta go after Henry Selleck. <laughs> We've gotta go after Henry Selleck to make whatever project he wants to Hell make yeah. as our first That's movie. That's such a smart fucking And their move. first movie, yeah, he's because he fucking cares about the yeah. art form. Yeah. And, like, credit to him for he... Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is their fourth film. Mm-hmm. So he let other people direct three other movies before he was finally like, okay, I'm going to take the reins and make my movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the process created uh, Coraline, a modern classic Mm -hmm. and a perfect film. Um, Truly. So that's, that's a little crash course in the history of Leica studios. It's, uh, it's complex. It features uh, a billionaire ousting an artist from his company, which is like, fucked intrigue but it does lead to i cannot deny yeah. some pretty fucking incredible movies yeah including the film we are talking about today alexis why did you pick this movie why did i pick this movie that's a great question i have no fucking idea jk it's because i knew you liked the movie so i had to pick something that somebody on this podcast at least liked to make it a little fair <laughs> 
Yeah, I do like it. I like it a lot. I'm also very happy you picked the stop motion film. Yeah, it's a good again. It's a it's a good foray to go into with animation. It's just it's so underrated. Well, physical, you know, I spent like the first two weeks in, you know, Japanese animation, you know, a couple different styles. And then it's like next week we're going to be in just regular plain American animation. You got to do a stop motion animation. I fucking love stop motion animation. I've loved it since I saw all those little Christmas movies as a kid. Yeah, Uh, I think that maybe some of those might have been Will Vinton. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Really? They Rudolph might be the older. Red reindeer. I'm, I'm not positive. I don't quote me on that. I'm sleepy. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've also, I've just, I've loved stop motion. Yeah. Stop motion was low key. The, my first foray into filmmaking. I, uh, I went to a yeah, stop, same. I went to a stop motion camp. That's, That's dope. Cute. Yeah. The first official movie or video I ever made was stop motion in middle school. Claymation guy gets run over by a car. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I grew up watching stop motion too. Did either of you watch Gumby growing up? My yeah. mom loved Gumby as a child. I grew up watching Gumby. That's a class of you have uh, fucking Wallace and Gromit too. I was not a Wallace Hell and Gromit girl yeah. though. But I did love Chicken Run. Really? Chicken Run is a great one. I've never seen Chicken, chicken Run. Chicken Run it's is a fantastic literally satire the great of The Great Escape. But with chickens and stop motion. Yeah. It's so good. Okay, That's yeah. all you and need it has to know. Mel Gibson in it, so you'll like that. <laughs> don't don't throw me in as a fucking Mel Gibson defender. I'm not. I'm, Fuck that guy. I'm just saying. I knew you'd like it. Oh my god, Alexis, what did you think of Kubo and the Two Strings? Also, we should probably read the description. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's Google have to say? Zach, do you want to read it? Uh, sure. Give me two seconds, and I have got it. Young Kubo's peaceful existence comes crashing down when he accidentally summons a vengeful spirit from the past. Now on the run, Kubo joins forces with Monkey and Beetle to unlock a secret legacy. Armed with a magical instrument, Kubo must battle the Moon King and other gods and monsters to save his family and solve the mystery of his fallen father, the greatest samurai warrior the world has ever known. Well, they like half watched. There's some context that's not in there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good description. It's though. decent. It's okay. yeah, it, it gives yeah. you the flavor. I'll give that to you, yeah. Google. Um, what was your question, Zach? Oh well, what did you think? What did you think, you oh, think of the movie, Alexis? Movie. You know, should I just tell, say what my relationship is with it? Yes. Um, so the first time I ever watched this movie was with my nephew, who this movie came out back in 2016. I didn't see it in theaters, but I did see it the following year when it like came out, like, you know, on like Amazon Prime or whatever. And I think maybe it was on Netflix. I can't remember. But my nephew was only two years old at the time. And this is right at the age that children start to be able to watch movies and to enjoy them. And there is always like a couple of movies that they get stuck on. And so one of them was Moana. And then this was another one that we watched um, a handful of times together. And there's just something very pure about watching like a little, little kid really in like start to enjoy movies you know, for the first time. Um, yeah. And to, to like experience that with that with them is very special for me. Um, and 
I love movies that are about um, family uh, and, you know, dysfunctional family, lost family, found family, all those different types of uh, dynamics. And so I, I really love this movie. Of course, I love stop motion. I love the music. I love the outro song. The outro song's so good. A really good cover. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll get to it later. So. My relationship with this film is, uh, unlike most of America, including Alexis, I did see this movie in theaters. <laughs> I went and saw it. Uh, this movie got its fucking lunch eaten by Sausage Party. Uh, oh, it came oh, no. out at a similar time, which I also did see in theaters three times because I was smoking weed. Wow. Um, there you go. But uh, Seth Rogen approved. Yeah, I, I loved this movie. I saw it a couple of times. I brought some friends to see it my second time because I was like, you've, you've got to see this fucking thing. It rules. And I well, I don't think I loved it as much on this rewatch. I still I love this movie. I think it is just like an incredible adventure movie. Uh, Travis Knight described it as he wanted to make a stop motion David Lean film. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, just like a, a big sweeping epic. Wow. Um, and I I think that this movie huh. really does succeed in feeling epic in scale and scope. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick, what's your relationship? Uh, I also saw this in theaters when it came out. Wow. Uh, I saw the trailer for it and really, really liked the, the look of it. I, again, I loved that they had uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps by George Harrison in the trailer. It was an awesome thing and saw it in theaters and I really, really liked it. I remember thinking that is a beautiful, beautiful film. Looks great. Really solid story. Um, but I am, I think, going to be, you know, you kind of slightly felt this, but I might be odd man out here. I like Kubo and the Two Strings. I don't love Kubo and the Two Strings. And the reason for that is I, I, I really can't point at a flaw because there really isn't one. It's it is a perfect there. Are, I find that animated films are a really good representation of a perfect story structure. Yeah, this it's, movie, you could teach the hero's yeah, journey with using this film. Kubo and the two strings. Yeah. Like, so there's no fat on the bone. That's about this film. But it's it kind of hit me a little bit as slightly unremarkable on a rewatch just because it, it did feel kind of formulaic a little bit because I really liked it the first time I saw it. But I had since kind of forgotten a little bit of the story elements. But as the movie was going on, I was uh, just spotting them left and right. Like, oh, that's going to be this. And there it is. That's going to be that. There it is. And it's beautiful. And I'm satisfied. I'm not angry that the story goes that way. But it's it didn't blow me away, but I really, 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 really did enjoy the animation. Um, I it also made me have a uh, really kind of profound respect for quality films for children. This or a family movie. Yeah. I think we'd all agree that Kubo is a family film. When they're done well, they are crucial uh, because. This movie, like so many other really good animated films, teaches and preaches that love conquers, love wins, love sets you free, not hate. And if there is any message that really needs to be 
encouraged and taught to the next generation, it's to use your heart and to use your brain and not to use your weapons or to use your hate that you have towards someone to fuel you. And instead, you should use love. And so many classics, I mean, fucking Star Wars uses that. It's it's such a classic theme and it works really well here. Um, but I have there is one thing I can point out that's a major flaw of this film. It is the song while my guitar gently weeps as I'm rewatching it. I kept fucking waiting for the song to come in to fu- to have the movie just have this great scene to this because there's a, so many times Kubo to tell a story starts playing his guitar and I kept waiting like, oh, is this it? Is this it? Is he going to play while you my guitar? You wanted him to play while my guitar? I did. Just because oh, I didn't want the that at all. The movie. No, I, because for some reason, I remembered him playing it when I first saw it, but it was a false memory that I had. Okay, okay. Interesting question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever... It's, I mean, it sounds like you did. Do you ever have that thing where, like, a song plays in a trailer? And then yeah. you so strongly associate it with that Nine. movie yes. that you expect it. Sorry? Nine. <laughs> That's my movie. Nine? I, I like, already know exactly oh. what you're talking about. Oh, that's such a good right. stop motion. Well, no, that's that's not stop motion, is it? That's CG that's yeah. kind of meant to look like oh, stop motion. Oh, I thought that was stop motion. No, I don't think is it, it is. I think, it, pr- I, think it's, I think it's just anim- regular yeah, animation. You, you two yeah. talk. I'll do some Jesus. research. Because I, I think the uh, the one that, like... I don't necessarily think that it would actually fit in the movie, but the one that I uh, think about this with is um, The Wolf of Wall Street and Black Skinhead, the Kanye song that plays in the trailer Mm -hmm. for Wolf of Wall Street. I just like... In my brain, I'm like, okay, that's 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 in there. Like that's yeah. that's the Wolf of Wall Street yeah. song. It's not, and yeah. like you know, that's. I, I guess that's kind of what a great trailer can do. Yeah. No. I here's the thing. I do also really like the movie Nine, but the trailer is a hundred times cooler than the movie purely because they used. Uh, Coheed and Cambria's Welcome Home and that song oh, fucking I love that rules. song that whole fucking That's album is just song. like incredible but that song with like the cuts that they used from the movie was just so fucking iconic I could watch that trailer over and over and over again and it was on like I understand because the mood of the movie was just like there wasn't any room for music like that but like i was very disappointed that that song wasn't in the movie like at all because the trailer was so fucking cool mm. <sighs> yeah this is really making me want to rewatch nine i haven't seen well, that movie unfortunately it is cgi it's uh, not stop motion i looked i took one look at a picture i was like oh i really did CGI. like that movie though because like it was so dystopian in like a really believable way of like oh we all just fucked each other up and now the earth is unlivable you know like that's a, that's it's a good super that makes sense <laughs> yeah it's a good like scary movie for kids and, and it did scare me okay and i'm not oh, yeah, always easily too. scared that shit creeped the fuck out of me there's like this one moment where like one of the characters like you think that it's the character, but actually that something's like sliding through and it's like the character being snaked with something else. 
Yeah, it's like the character's skin being puppeteered. Yes. Oh my god, that creeped me the fuck out. I think because like there was no light in the eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so this is a good spot to pivot back to Kubo and the Two Strings. Mm -hmm. I want to commend this movie, and I mean to an even greater extent Coraline, for (laughs) having some genuinely like creepy moments for kids. Oh yeah. Mm. Particularly the, the introduction of the sisters, the The sisters. sisters. Yeah. Rooney Mara. Yes. Is like so legit. Creepy. That's that's straight on horror. Great, Mm -hmm. great voice work from Rooney Mara. Yeah. And the shot. Yeah. The shot of the one sister, like floating out from behind the other Mm -hmm. one is so, so good. Um, I feel like we should maybe get into the the plot a little bit, just you know, a little a little more summary. Uh, so essentially, this whole movie, uh, Kubo's mother is uh, played by Charlize Theron. Um, yeah, was like she some had... sort of a deity. Yeah, like a deity her, or something. Yeah, her yeah her father is the Moon King who is like a sky god. Yeah. And she comes down to earth to uh, try to kill this samurai who's becoming too powerful. And instead they fall in love. She has a child with him, Kubo, uh, who then the moon king steals his eye and her and Kubo have to go into hiding. Kubo can never go out under the night sky, but then one night he does. And... Uh, is then being pursued by his mother's two evil sisters who are working for the Moon King. And he he goes on a lovely adventure. He meets a a man who's like a big bug who turns out to be his dad. Turns out to be Matthew McConaughey. Do I have eyelids? Uh, That's my favorite line in the whole movie is just that moment where he's (laughs) like, da-da-da, eyelids. Do I have eyelids? That shit makes me giggle every time I don't. It's got to be because it's Matthew McConaughey, but I also just really love the line. Yeah, it's weird casting and it works. It does. It's a bit of a gamble, but it it actually it it totally works. So here's a here's a McConaughey related question. Okay, (laughs) Is this the last movie in the McConaughey? I don't know what would have come after. When did was was this after before Wolf Wall Street? Uh, It's a very three years after. Oh, wow. I would say that the McConaughey in terms of like Matthew McConaughey being a respected Mad. actor who's getting a lot of work, I think it starts with the Lincoln Lawyer. Yeah, mm. I, that's the first time I remember two thousand six getting buzz. Uh, that's two thousand eleven. Oh, really? Yeah, Mud is two thousand twelve. So in two thousand eleven, he's in the Lincoln Lawyer, Bernie, uh, and Killer Joe. Uh, in 2012, he's in Mud and Magic Mike. Ugh. 2013, Dallas Buyers Club and The Wolf of Wall Street. 2014, he's in Interstellar. 2015, uh, he's in some movie called The Sea of Trees, but I think that that's the year that he's in True Detective. Oh, right, I'm right, pretty right. sure. Yeah. Um, maybe that's 2013. But yeah, 20, 2016 is Kubo and the Two Strings. And then 2017, it all comes crashing down with The Dark Tower. So the Dark Tower. It was a Stephen King adaptation. He, he was, was in, in it with that? Idris Elba. Yeah, it oh, bombed. It wow. bombed, bombed, yeah, bombed. I remember the trailer for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I think that this is kind of the cherry on top of the McConaughey's because he's he's very good in this movie. He is he funny. Is very he's good, very yeah. funny. He, he brings a he's lot a very of warm uh, presence. heart 
and like genuine like genuine like amusement to this movie yeah and then the, the relationship between bits. him and monkey is really fun what, yes. One of my favorite bits is where uh, they're fishing and he and he shoots. He has Kubo shoot a fish and then it just dies and floats to the bottom of the ocean. The monkey's like, what, what the heck? How are you going to get the fish? And he kind of realized, well, I, 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 I said this is target practice, not fishing. <laughs> <laughs> then they tie a rope to the air and they get it. Yeah. No, that's that's a great bit. Also, uh Charlize Theron, fucking fantastic, both as... Uh, as always. Yeah, Kubo's mother and as uh, Monkey. Who, I love her sass. Uh, starts out as a, a little charm in Kubo's pocket and then is brought to life by his mother's magic. Uh, I, this is also like a... I, I think it's a good film to like teach kids how to kind of come to face the idea of mortality. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, this is... A movie about like becoming an adult and contending with the death of your parents, which a, a lot of children's films, I feel like, grapple with those a themes. Surprising amount, yeah. But I think this one does it very well. the uh, The moment where Kubo uh, uses his magical guitar to bring the spirits of his village's uh, ancestors yeah. back to life to defeat the moon king is 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 very moving and very good the score just fucking whips in this movie it whips the music he's playing is so good the really beautiful songs that he plays yeah um i was gonna say there's quite a lot of obviously there's quite a lot of like pixar movies where they like kill off a character so that you can like feel the pain of loss or whatever but it is actually very surprising to think about how many of those movies um have a, a usually a very short section of time right after that death where the character is literally in a state of inaction like this death has brought their life to a halt um whereas i really love that in kubo it's kind of like you know the the danger is so imminent that he doesn't have really the chance to mourn you know he just has to keep going on you know which is kind of a yeah. lot more of like what life really is you know like you don't get really always get that opportunity to um fully mourn somebody or for your life to stop because life just goes on and it sucks too because he's born in mourning mm -hmm. for his dad yeah well, yeah. So he's all like he's already doing it. And he's already living like a half because one of the things you didn't mention in the summary is that in trying in, in saving him from his grandpa, his mother sustains a head injury that makes it so that she has now become like kind of catatonic during the day and she really only comes alive at night. And you realize that, oh, it makes sense that she only comes alive at night like because she used car. to be a sky, like a nighttime kind of celestial deity kind of thing, whatever it is that she was. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's almost like he was slowly losing her and then finally does like officially lose her. But also like it's I don't know, I think very, very moving that the way Kubo connects with his mother during that section and like ultimately kind of triumphs at the end is through storytelling mm -hmm. like. That's when we meet Kubo, he's a, a storyteller in this little village. Uh, and yeah, he asks his mother to tell him stories about his father 
And then uh, at the end of the movie, when he uh, defeats the Moon King and the Moon King becomes a man with no memories, uh, the town tells him a story about, you know, the... How selfless yeah, he was. The, the, the good man that he is. Yeah. Uh, and... I don't know. I, I, I think that I think that it's very sweet. That which is amazing. A movie that they, about the importance. Of it's story. amazing that they turned on a dime like that to like yeah. to really drive the theme home that love is important. Because I couldn't have done that. I would have been that guy in the back going, I don't like this guy. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not ready to talk to him yet. You don't belong uh, maybe in tomorrow, the children's maybe movie, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like this is. Uh, I I do. He's a bastard. I do also really like that because like part of. Um, the theme of the movie is the idea that no one is ever truly gone if you keep them alive in your heart, which I think kind of ties into like Coco and stuff where it's like, you know, like the three deaths, you die when you die, um, when uh, you're buried and then when the last person like forgets you or when the last person that know knew you like dies or something. Um, and so I think it's interesting that he basically gets this like new slate <laughs> and gets this whole new set of memories. And I think it's kind of because like, you know, he didn't have anybody that he loved, you know, like he he's basically like a baby. Yeah, he wants to take Kubo's other eye because he wants to make him blind Kubo to the world. Has an eye, he can, humanity. Yeah. Yeah. He can he can look into someone else's eye and see their soul. Mm -hmm. This is a good movie. This is a good movie. I like this movie a lot. I like it too. Also, it's got... Okay. I don't think we've talked about the most important element of this movie. Sir? The origami? There's a... There's a big-ass skeleton, guys. There's uh, a big there's skeleton. There's such a big bone man. There is a, a big... man of bones. The first thing they fight is a big skeleton guy. They do. <laughs> tell us more about that the skeleton puppet? guy, Zach. You're so jazzed. I will tell I will tell you about the skeleton guy. The fucking skeleton puppet that they built, fucking 14 feet tall. Yeah, it's huge. 400 Bananas. pounds. At least their claim is that it's the largest stop motion puppet ever built. It mm. is so good. It looks great. They had to do insane fucking things with it where they like built this kind of like hydraulic system to like move the torso of the skeleton right. so that they weren't risking the chance that something could go wrong and one of the puppeteers could accidentally tip it over and be crushed and killed but then they also had like cables running from the ceiling to the floor to like move its arms kind of like a marionette yeah so it's this like marriage of like very new cutting edge technology and like very kind of old school practical Ray Harryhausen type stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Ray Harryhausen because uh, we let me tell you, Travis Knight out. did. Travis Knight fucking shouted out Ray Harryhausen. Who's Ray Harryhausen, Mick? Ray Harryhausen is the guy, the father, really, of uh, stop motion. He did um, King Kong, the original King mm. Kong. He did the original, I believe he did the original Clash of the Titans. He did. Um, and the stop motion, I mean, it's especially Clash of the Titans, the stop motion of Medusa, fucking terrifying. The one that I always remember is uh, Jason and, and the, the Argonauts, because yeah, it has the a skeleton fight. Yeah, that's it. Well, it, it not only, Booms. not the only is it a skeleton man. fight, it is skeletons fighting live action actors. That is really incredible to do back then. But something that's crazy about stop motion 
is the fact that like what happened like you shoot for a day and then you're done for that day everything has to be exactly where it was all night and something that not a lot of people realize is like sometimes the next day they'll come in and where they left the figurines is not exactly where they left the last the last night because of seismic activity like the most incremental little earthquakes will actually affect the continuity of their pose and even like the atmosphere within the studio like the temperature regulation everything plays into it so the fact that they can create something in stop motion that's just so masterful is really impressive yeah. it is a technical feat as well as just great art yeah and you know what i really love about like a studio is the amount of like texture that they have in their um what you call them puppets i don't know <laughs> yeah puppets um yeah no uh, just beautiful beautiful fucking work you know I'll also say, too, though, I actually really do love this movie because it emphasizes the importance of narrative in a child's life and how they come to understand the world through the narratives that they are told. And, you know, for Kubo, this, you know, the stories that he's told as a child are the reason why he's able to, you know, resist the lure of, you know, becoming basically like a god, you know, and uh, staying true to like who he is and, you know, kind of having the gumption to fucking go on this like crazy fucking adventure after just having lost his mom. And that's because of like the narrative that he's been told, like since he was a child that like, you know, he he's loved, um, he's uh capable and that he like basically like he's kind of born for greatness because of like who his parents were you know and um i don't know i wanted to ask you guys what if if your parents told you stories like as a kid that gave you a sense oh, of yeah. narrative about yourself oh about myself uh well, let's see. My dad used to tell me that my grandpa was a troll and my grandma was an astronaut, so I was a quarter troll. Really? Yep. That makes wow. strangely some I sense. Remember... <laughs> does, does that start to explain my my views of myself? This Some things are clicking yeah. in my mind. <laughs> yes. My mom would tell me that, I mean, I guess this is true for everybody, but if you don't clean your ears, potatoes will grow. What do you mean that's ears. true for everybody? I, I feel like I've heard a lot of other people say that their parents said that. Never heard that a day in my really? life. Yeah, nope. that was a narrative that I believed Never, for a while. No. Nope. I thought nope. that's where potatoes came from, was people's nope. ears. That's fun. Yeah. I'm glad that you had a fucking but Shrek that's not, child. That's not really my narrative, though. I, I don't really, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head huh. that informed my narrative. Yeah. You know, my mom, what about you, Alexis? My mom used to, so, you know, my mom, were, she was a nurse, so she'd work like 12, sometimes 14 hours a day. So, like, I'd really only see her in the very, very beginning of the morning when she'd get me up for school sometimes or just, like, in general, like, be, maybe, maybe I wouldn't even see her in the morning. I'd see her, like, at bedtime. And at bedtime, she would always read me a book but if she was too tired to read me a book she would tell me a story and my favorite story 
was the story of me being born. And I'd be like, tell me, tell me the story about me. Tell me the story about me. And this is like, like, I'm literally like under the age of five. Like, I remember this happening a lot when I was like three to five years old. And it was like, blah, 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 hospital, like, and there was a mommy and daddy love each other very much and blah, blah, blah. And then there was a baby and her name was Alexis and she had beautiful brown hair and beautiful brown eyes and they took her home and you know like they loved her or whatever you know but I loved hearing this fucking story <laughs> but it's crazy because like I grew up uh loving my hair and loving my eyes even though I definitely grew up with like a lot of like kids that I, you know, blonde, blue eyed and stuff, you know, going to like Catholic school with like some more rich kids or whatever. Hitler youths. But I was never jealous of them because in my head I thought, no, but my eyes are beautiful and my hair is beautiful, even if it's just brown. And my mom told me that because when she was growing up, she felt like uh because her hair was brown, like she wasn't as pretty. So for her, it was really important for me to like get that kind of in my head. And for the longest time, I didn't even like want to like cut my hair or dye my hair because I really thought that like my hair was really pretty, you know? And so I think I was really, really grateful for that narrative of something to like come back to as even as an adult of something like whatever relationship we have had or have now that was always something beautiful that we had together, you know? Well, that's a sweet story. Yeah, that's very wholesome. Well, yeah. I'm a wholesome kind of person. My parents never built me up like that. <laughs> is that, is that why you're the, the best adjusted of all of us? Yeah. See, I didn't need my parents' help. I, I was completely confident. <laughs> that's well, fucked up. I, I, was, I wish I, I could go, say the same. Boy. <laughs> Gorgeous boy. Gorgeous, gorgeous boy. I'm a gorgeous boy. Who's that gorgeous I, I, I really boy? had to reflect back on that story many a times. I am beautiful, right? <laughs> I remember my parents would tell me the story of me being born was not as sweet. Okay, we have very different parents. It was not sweet. It was just about my dad being a goof. Because oh, yeah, mine was similar. Mine was, uh, I, I was a cesarean, uh, uh, you know, C-section. I was emergency. I was going to be a breech baby. So, you know, me being born was not this, like, beautiful, like, oh, you know, you know, she, the, she's going to labor, the whole thing. It was like, oh, my God, people are going to die. It's going to be, like, alien. Yeah, it's exactly. Oh I burst through. And my dad was like so like traumatized by the whole experience, especially when they saw the epidermic needle that you're so, to be in the birthing room. You have to wear booties and a cap mm -hmm. and, for sanitary reasons. And at the time, my dad had a big beard and he got so like anxious in the moment that he put the booties on his beard and his head <laughs> and he put his beard mask and hat on his feet. So when he walked in, all the nurses just started laughing at him. And so my mom describes it that she's going through the most immense pain of her life and everyone's just laughing around her because of my dad. <laughs> oh, well, OK. Yeah. You know what? I, I'll be honest. I have heard the actual like even as a kid, I heard the actual story of like my birth. My mom has used the phrase holy hell. I was in holy hell is the term she uses. Um, wow. But this was just a story she would tell me before bedtime. It was just, I don't know, it was just, it was something that she could tell me in under five minutes so that she could get the fuck to bed because she was fucking tired. Right. You know? For sure. 
Well, that's sweet. Nice. I also, uh, another director who deserves a shout out for this movie is Hayao Miyazaki. Once again, uh, Travis Knight has listed him as a big influence uh, for this movie. He's listed Spirited Away as a pretty big influence in terms of, you know, this being a coming of age story for a young kid to learn how to, you know, be capable without their parents. In kind of the spiritual world with fantastical creatures and stuff. In a a quick side note, Mick, I know you really love Princess Mononoke, and I'm not saying that Castle in the Sky is even going to, like, touch that, but it really has that environmental factor that I think you really enjoy from Princess Mononoke. It's very baked in deep to Castle in the Sky, so I think you'll really enjoy it. Is that Ghibli? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the next big one I have to see. I Yeah, my two favorites are Howl's Moving Castle and uh, Princess Mononoke. And then honorable mention to um, Pigo Rosso. Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso. Pigo Rosso. Excuse you. Pigo Rosso. Pigo Rosso. That's his unsuccessful cousin. I gotta beef up on my uh, my Ghibli movies before How Do You Live or uh, sorry The Boy and the Heron mm-hmm. comes out. Mm. It's coming out soon. Nice, guys. We got some good movies coming I out honestly, this year. We do. Go to the I movies. think I've seen almost everything that Miyazaki's done at this point. I think I have. Yeah, I think I've nice. only like maybe like one or two movies out of his entire like directorial like list Mm. i think there's only like a handful of the takahata movies i haven't seen so of of the core studio ghibli movies i've seen almost all of them nice because i fucking rock yeah yeah kubo is really solid solid film again when i finished it it didn't make me contemplate the movie for long periods of time afterwards i think that's why i'm not giving it like a huge two thumbs up uh but it's very good for what it does i have a solid complaint to issue against this movie okay we reunite this family after learning that oh shit this beetle that he's been hanging out with is his dad surprise surprise all right okay tell me why this man is supposedly one of the greatest fucking samurai to ever grace this fucking earth and he's distracted for a moment and then gets stabbed in the back and dies like immediately. I was like, well, that was anticlimactic. I was expecting something else to happen with him, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we find out yeah. he's the dad and then immediately gets stabbed in the back and dies. I was like, OK, I really thought that something else was going to happen there, but that's fine. <laughs> it does feel a little convenient, but like. Within the stories world, I'll give them like I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because it's like he's forgotten so much of his ways where I think you could even chalk up the fact that he's kind of forgotten how to be this great warrior. Yeah. He's lost a bit. I don't know, though. He's fucking killing it with those arrows. Yeah, he really yeah. did. Like, he literally just like he shot like four arrows in a row and he got them all dead center. So like. Also, don't, but I feel like every time I go to fucking swat a goddamn mosquito, they have like this like 20th sense and I can never fucking get it. So like, shouldn't as a bug, he have even better reflexes? I don't know. Something's (laughs) a little fishy here or a little beetle-y. I'll, uh. I'll, I'll consult with Edwin, our yeah. uh, our bug man, to, <laughs> to ask about the logistics of this. What's bug scientist called again? Uh, entomologist. Entomologist. A regional entomologist. Yeah. Nice. 
Well, Kubo and the Two Strings, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's uh, worth a watch. It's yeah. on Pluto TV. It's on Tubi. Hey, Tubi. Hey, Tubi. 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 Call us. Tubi. Give me a call. We keep sliding into their DMs. Tubi, say you'll love us so. To be a film major. That's how we'd open with it. That's to me. That's, <laughs> that's just how a, we would do that's it. That's a little taste of the advertising yeah. you could be fucking. We're very punny, Tubi. <laughs> uh, also, uh, I probably inserted this earlier in the show, but uh, check out the new episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe coming out uh, this Sunday. They're uh, friends of the show, past and future guests, uh, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what they got. Hell yeah, slay. So Alexis. We hate to see it go. Yeah. We love to watch it leave. Our, our ride is going to be going to its final we're, destination. Yeah, we're about to get to the end of this rail line. What's the last film well, you know, in our quest to the animation station? In many ways, this was the hardest decision of the entire month to make. This was absolutely not the movie that everything and anything was planned upon and dreamed about um, is 1995's Balto, directed... There it fucking is. There it is. <laughs> directed by Simon Wells, and I didn't even know that until earlier tonight, <laughs> even though I've seen this nice. movie like 25 times, maybe more. Yeah, when you, when you announced that we were going to have an animation month, what I, what I, like, way back in the day, what I first heard was, we're going to review Balto. Yeah. So this has been a long time coming. Yes. Balto has been seated for some time. Yes. Well, uh, I, I may have seen Balto as a very small child, but I'm not sure that I have. So this will be a refresher for me. Uh-huh. It's going to be great. I saw it recently because Alexis showed it to me for the first time. So this will be a rewatch. It's going to be great, guys. This may actually be the shortest movie we will ever review because it, it comes clocks How in at an hour and 18 minutes. Ooh, clean. 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 We made our episode may, in fact, be longer than the movie. We will oh, have we will. to watch I'll, that. I'll bet, I'll yeah. bet fucking money. It, it will is. absolutely be longer. Also, yeah. I would just like to say that we have finally gotten into my favorite corner of the world, which is Horny for Horner. Rest in peace, my king. <laughs> oh, did, he, did he score that movie? Yeah, he did. I will be watching oh, like four different movies leading up to watching Balto that are also scored by James Horner, An American Tale by Don Bluth, um, and also uh, The Land Before Time. Iconic. Excellent. Wow. Excellent. Well, if you want to watch Balto, you can find Balto on Peacock or you can rent it on Amazon Prime, YouTube, wherever you rent your movies on the Internet. Uh, by the way, congratulations to uh, SAG-AFTRA for getting your contract. The uh, the actor strike, I believe, is officially over at Maybe. this point. There's still some shifty shit in there. Uh, well, we'll see. Did Fingers you read crossed. it? Uh, I have not yet. I know that there's some some questionable things involving AI. Yeah, what I've heard. I, I read it. I'm like, ooh, that mm. says. Well, as they said in the gentleman, there is, my friends, fuckery afoot. Mm -hmm. Well, 
We'll uh, we'll see if we uh, keep putting uh, donation resources in the uh, in the bio. Yeah. In the in the show notes, you can you can check down there. And uh, if you want to find us, the film majors on social media, you can find us on Instagram, Blue Sky Threads, and TikTok at Film Majors Pod. If you want to shoot us an email. Tell us if Balto really is the shortest film we've ever covered. Go back, do your research, just spool. Yeah, do it for us. Yeah, spool I'm not through doing it. the 62 episodes of this show and tell us if we have covered a movie shorter than Balto. The only I, one that I can think of off the top of my head might be We're All Going to the World's Fair. Oh, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, I didn't even think of That might be 115. Oh, yeah. You know what's also funny, though, is that I think I've also made us review one of the longest movies with Drive My Car. <laughs> You definitely have, oh, absolutely. but you yeah. know what? Entirely worth it. Talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. talking about favorite movies that we've introduced one another to. Yeah, drive my car. Fuck great one. Hell yeah. Well, that's it. That's all she wrote, folks. 